I have called up in all my years of sorcery, no ominous and gibbous. And the Hello, and welcome to The Double Shadow, a podcast exploring the weird fiction of 20th century writer Clark Ashton Smith. I'm Tim. I'm Phil. And I'm Ruth. And in this episode, we'll be covering the death of Malagris, or Malagri. Ha! <laughs> Wait, which way is which way? Because I thought we'd are, we're all saying Malagris. I kind of like Malagri, but Malagris... Is, is Malagri your way, Ruth? No. No, Malagri was your way, Phil. Because I have, a, I have a case to make in the text of the story that it is Malagri, because the story is so um, poetry-erific. And there's a couple of lines where Malagri would be rhymed with words like ye and right. ye, which is why I think it might be Malagri. But well, I, it could I just really be know. a fake rhyme, too. Except that then it would, well, whatever. It doesn't really matter, except that I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I will probably keep saying Malagris, yes. um, but I like Malagri better. I just won't remember to say it because there's an S at the end. I feel like I've jumped back and forth because I just ultimately I just want to conform to the group. Right. <laughs> conform, Phil. <laughs> okay, before we get into the uh notes on the issue that this appeared in, I just wanted to mention that um the astute listeners out there may have realized that I've changed up the music a little bit and I just wanted to give a shout out to the group that is providing the music for these this little block of stories. And it's a group called Erdenstern, and they compose music for uh, role-playing games. And I'd been using them and listening to it, and uh, I wrote them an email and asked them what their licensing rights were to use their music on our podcast, and they said that we were free to use whatever we want as long as we credit them. So we've been crediting them and I just want to give them a shout out because I think they're awesome and they've been working really well for what, what I've been doing. So yeah. here's my question, Tim, what is a role playing game? Well, it is a collaborative storytelling game using only your imagination. <laughs> I hear there's like pencils and paper and dice and stuff. Yes. Uh, so this story first appeared in the April 1934 issue of Weird Tales. Um, it had been previously rejected um, as being too much of a prose poem, which is was a problem that Smith had with a couple of the stories. And according to the internet and uh, other sources, it was accompanied by an illustration uh, by Smith himself. But I can't find this illustration on the internet. And to that, I ask, what's the point of an internet if it can't give me... <laughs> everything i want including this image Seriously. let's say specifically this image so if any of our listeners have access to an april 1934 issue of weird tales i would much appreciate a scan of the image that went with this story agreed looking at some of these um these notes about the letters and what was rejected and how many times something was revised 
I really want somebody to put out a collected letters of Farnsworth Wright. Yeah, that would be really interesting. I want to see his his dialogues with various authors. and I don't even know what I think of him because I, I don't know. know enough about him. I only know about him through other people's talking about his letters to them about this or that publication and their opinions about him. So, again, if anybody feels like putting that together. You've got one sale in the bag. Yes, I will buy that. I didn't make a list of the, the author's names that appeared in this Weird Tales like I normally do because I feel like we may have peaked. With Hung Along Tom. It's going to take a really special collection of names to top that. And the, the, most of the names in this issue are, are names that aren't... Um, like, I try to pick names that are kind of really forgotten or at least unknown to me. Right. Um, and all the names in this issue were pretty... It was like Derelith and, and Manly Wade Wellman and... So, right. And no Nard Joneses. Yeah, no Nard Jones. Nobody nobody that struck me as, like, an intriguing who wrote what now kind of name. <laughs> at the hour of interlunar midnight, when lamps burned rarely and far apart in Suceron and slow-moving autumn clouds had muffled the stars. King Gadarion sent forth into the sleeping city twelve of his trustiest mutes. Like shadows gliding through oblivion, they vanished upon their various ways, and each of them, returning presently to the darkened palace, led with him a shrouded figure no less discreet and silent than himself. In this manner, groping along tortuous alleys, through blind cypress caverns in the royal gardens, and down subterranean halls and steps, twelve of the most powerful sorcerers of Suceron were brought together in a vault of oozing death-gray granite, far beneath the foundations of the palace. Quick note here, you remember those 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 mute deaf mute slaves that they had? See? I told it's you this there it's a thing. There, yeah. There's a market for mutes. <laughs> there's a market for mutes and Poseidonus. They come in really handy apparently. Why is why did this king send these mutes out to bring sorcerers to him? Well, for to, to kind of just have a discussion about our old friend Malagris. Yeah. Um, and I think when uh, there's a lot about this scene that's actually really awesome and haunting like where they're hanging out is like this vault where there is a uh what is it a purple no it's a blue eye of a slain yeah. cyclops yeah that can be used uh as like a would you say like a scrying yeah. tool or something yep. mm -hmm. and the entrance to the vault is guarded by earth demons that obeyed the arch sorcerer and the arch sorcerer is kind of depending on your perspective on the story i guess either our hero or our villain, although I don't know that I would really say the story has has either. But this right. arch sorcerer Moranapion, he is the king's counselor, so he's like the the highest mage of the higher highest arch sorcerer in the land, I guess, aside from Malagris. And he's hated Malagris for years and years and years. So they've called this ridiculous and incredibly haunting conclave of yeah. sorcerers together to discuss what's to be done about Malagris. There's this really funny little sentence in here that I just want to point out. So, like, they're all gathered together, and it's, like, Marinapion and his blue eye and the king. And, like, there's this great phrase about the king is crownless and he's yeah. like wearing a sackcloth. So the king's, like, yeah. basically in hiding in some sense in this scene. And then there's this line where it says, The hour and fashion of their summoning, the place of meeting, the terrible elemental guards, the mufti worn by Gedrion, 
all were proof of a need for preternatural stealth and privity, which I just like because like maybe sometimes these guys get together and they don't get together like this. But right. it's like, oh man, if he sent the mutes and like we're meeting with the, <laughs> with the Cyclops eye, we know that it's for real. <laughs> it's cabal time. It's cabal time. <laughs> yes, this is definitely a cabal. There's a, another sentence earlier on here where it's uh, he's describing the vault and he says the vault was lit dubiously by a single lamp, which I think is really cool because it's like <laughs> there's one lamp that lights the room. Is the lamp really lighting the room or is the is there some other fell power lighting the room? It's, ve- it's a very cool scene. And the lamp is fed with uh, Viper's oil, which I found an interesting touch, all things considered. Whatever do you mean? Why nothing good, sir? We'll get to that later. Uh, I'm just saying I have candidates. <laughs> so here's the question that makes me think maybe it's pronounced Malagri, because he says, what know ye of Malagris? Right. Um, and in terms of like poetic speak, it might be a little bit more poemy if it was pronounced what know ye of Malagri, but either way. So the king says that, what know ye? He gathers the 12 greatest sorcerers and Poseidonists in the secret vault for a secret meeting and asks them that. When he asks them that, they all kind of blanch and they all kind of get scared. And then a few of them share what they know. Melagris dwells in his black tower above Susra. The night of his power is still heavy upon Poseidonus. And we others, moving in that night, are as shadows of a withered moon. He is overlord of all kings and sorcerers, yea, even the triremes that fare to Tartessos. And the far-flown eagles of the sea pass not beyond the black falling of his shadow. The demons of the five elements are his familiars, said the second. The gross eyes of common men have beheld them often flying like birds about his tower, or crawling lizard-wise on the walls and pavements. Malagris sits in his high hall. Unto him tribute is borne at the full moon from all the cities of Poseidonus. He takes a tithe of the lading of every galley. He claims a share of the silver and incense, of the gold and ivory sacred to the temples. His wealth is beyond the opulence of the sunken kings of Atlantis. Even those kings who were thy forefather, O Gadarion. Malagris is old as the moon, mumbled the fourth. He will live forever, armed against death with the dark magic of the moon. Death has become a slave in his citadel, toiling among other slaves and striking only at the foes of Malagris. Much of this was true formerly, said the king with the sinister hissing of breath. But now a certain doubt has arisen, for it may be that Malagris is dead. Dun, dun, dun! Man, <laughs> dropping bombs. Uh, so yeah, that's why they're gathered, because the king thinks this guy that everybody is legitimately terrified of might actually secretly be dead. Right. <laughs> Which... That's pretty impressive. And their response is, of course, like, what? No. Like, like this afternoon, people bought him tribute, and the doors opened, and he sat on his throne to receive them, and granted, he didn't make eye contact or, or talk to them or anything like that, and his familiars came unbidden. But seriously, he was there, and he didn't look dead exactly, and his familiars were still serving him, so he must be alive. 
And there's still lights in the tower. Mm-hmm. And I mean, sure, he sits in the same position every day. But that's his haughty way. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have a question. What, you know, when you read stories, you think to yourself, oh, I've, I've seen this setup or this plot device used before. I don't know that I've ever seen this plot device, like, this guy might actually be dead, but we can't prove it anywhere before. No, <laughs> or, that's or true. since. I mean, maybe not before. It would be harder to find it, I guess. But since, like... Like, I th- I, you know, when you read Lovecraft and these guys, like, you sort of feel like a lot of it's been picked over and reused. Right. I don't I don't know that I've ever encountered, oh, this super evil guy who, who we all are terrified of. He might actually be dead and we might not know it. No, I think there have been occasional reanimations and such, but nothing where it's like, is he dead? Is he alive? We don't we don't know. And I kind of like I just love it. I love that he uh, that they like he's so powerful that he might just be sitting there dead and nobody. Would know. <laughs> right. I think it's such an amazing idea. So they're quaking and basically saying, you know, people have been fooled before. And Malagris is kind of the master of fooling people. So the archmage, Maranapion, has been watching Malagris through his cyclops eye for one year and one month. And he hasn't moved in all of that time. So that's why they think he's dead. Not, you know, he doesn't, isn't just not moved. Like, he hasn't eaten. Like, people bring him food. Right. And then it gets taken away. And his hands clutch always the basilisk carven arms of the chair. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that they've done their research on this before, just saying, hmm, you know, we haven't seen him moving a bit. And like, nope, they've had somebody scrying on him for 13 months. That's how scary Malagris is. Meanwhile, we know, we know from the first story in Poseidon that he's actually just a softie at heart. Yeah, he's just a sad old dude. Yeah, (laughs) who's still in love with the woman from his uh, youth. In fact, I wonder um, when the timing of the two stories happens. Like, did he die right after? Well, if he's dead, did he die right afterward? Well, I think at the end of at the end of this, we should it'll be pretty easy to do, but we could do like a rough timeline of how these stories. Yeah, a little a little appreciation of Malagris. Right. A mini biography. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, so he's just been sitting there for ages, and we learn also in this little thing about about how long uh, Miranda Pian has been watching him, that that uh, this arch sorcerer hates Malagris, like just hates him as the one. It says as the one warlock whose art and power excelled his own. So you know he's he's like your pretty standard Poseidonist uh, necromancer sorcerer who's just kind of jealous of power and wants mm-hmm. to be the best. I, we didn't describe what he looks like. He's wrapped up to his mouth in, like, mummy wrap. Oh, you're right. His shroud-like garments. We need more stories about this guy. I think maybe he's Oigos. <gasps> you no, shut your mouth. Not. He is not Oigos. <laughs> no. You shut it. He's obviously not Oigos. We all know Oigos was an Atlantean warrior. Yes. This guy, this guy doesn't hold a flame to Oigos. <laughs> not even an asbestos... Yes, not even Calcum in an yeah. asbestos flame. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the big deal? Who cares if Malagris is dead? Well, they're giving him tribute, and there's, these are the sorcerers, and everybody's living in fear of him. So the king figures that these guys, being the 12 most powerful, should liberate Ciceron from being under Malagris's uh, necromantic sway. Not idly have I called ye to this crypt, O sorcerers of Sisran, for a work remains to be done. Verily, shall the corpse of a dead necromancer tyrannize over us all? There is mystery here, 
and a need to move cautiously, for the duration of his necromancy is yet unverified and untested. But I have called ye together in order that the hardiest among ye may take counsel with Maranapion, and aid him in devising such wizardry as will expose the fraud of Malagus, and evince his mortality to all men, as well as to the fiends that follow him still and the ministering monsters. A babble of disputation arose, and they who were most doubtful of this matter, and feared to work against Malagris in any fashion, begged Gedieron's leave to withdraw. In the end, there remained seven of the twelve. Cowards. So five sorcerers split. They are cowards. Two of the cowards are still curious. They don't want to be part of the cabal, but they're actually kind of curious, and so they decide that they're going to go break in. Because they're geniuses. I, I think actually they that that he he puts a fine point in their psychology. He like they they want to do it because they are ashamed. Yeah, they have felt a certain shame for their timidity, and they want to rehabilitate themselves actually and regard the others. So they decide they're going to go check it out. Well, plus before that, they the king and his cabal start spreading rumors that Malagris is actually dead. So people start talking about it and start putting it together. They're still terrified of him. But I think that adds a little bit to the motivation of these guys. You know, right. now everybody knows and we were invited to be a part of it and we walked away. I like these guys. They're like, is it only our second set of Atlantean brothers? Like it's yes. just, uh, Sith and then these two guys. Yep. Nigon and Fustulis. I, I love Fustulis. So yeah, you know, for, I guess, to, to save face, they decide they're going to sneak upon uh, Malagris and see for themselves exactly what's going on. Yeah, so they, they wait till nighttime, and they go to, uh, apparently, Malagris, Malagris's black tower sits in, like, sh- right in the middle of Susran. Yeah. Um, and it's on a hill, and it's covered in uh, cypress trees. And there's stairs going up it. So the two brothers wait till the moon is is gone and obscure stars fill the sky. And they start climbing the steps and it gets really windy, so much so that their cloaks flap in their faces. And the doors are open, just like they usually are. So they go in and they're scared, but they have a cover story. Their, their cover story is that they want to ask, they, they're pretending that they're there to ask Malagris to... Um... To tell them their own futures. They want an oracle of their futures. They get inside the house, and it's full to the brim of treasures. Any kind of treasure that a young Poseidonist man or woman might think to themselves, it's, uh, <laughs> it's in Malagris's house. It's yeah. like jewels and books and filters and opulent beyond imagination. And that's just the lower level. Like They haven't even made it up into the tower where, where Malagris um, is sitting in his, in his throne. Um, so they, uh, does anything happen to them on the lower levels? Like they, I think they just kind of look around and they're like, damn. Yeah, in fact, it says uh, that they explore unmolested, that they're, nothing happens. They're just wandering around freely. And this makes them even more bold. When you think that this has been standing in the middle of Suceron for 13 months like this. Yeah. And that nobody's touched it. That's another great... And it's just in the middle of the city. It's not out in the country. It's in the middle. It's dominating over the city. And people are so used to him being there that nobody's bothered. Yeah. What uh, What was that thing you were talking about earlier, Tim? Those RPGs? This feels to me like a perfect setup for an RPG. It absolutely is. 
it is the perfect setup for an RPG. Explore the dead, maybe <laughs> wizards uh, tower. I love the. Um, there was a part earlier that said the might of the wizard was a thing seared as with hot iron on the souls of them that had witnessed his thaumaturgies. So that's mm-hmm. how afraid people are of, of Malagris. Like, it's almost like he burned them with hot iron just by witnessing his magic. So these two dudes, wizard bros. <laughs> Wiz bros. They finally get to, I guess, Malagris' throne room, although he never actually calls it that. Yeah. But it's full of artifacts and iron-bound volumes and books on the occult. And uh, there's a great mosaic along the floor. And sitting in the center of it is the that ivory throne made of yep. mammoth tusks with uh, Malagris's body sitting there, unmoving. He's staring out of a night black window, which I think is kind of awesome that he... Uh... Yeah. Just sits and stares out this window. I imagine it's face towards the sea. I, I don't know if they mention that later, but I sort of imagine that he's like staring at the sea that will eventually swallow Poseidon. So the two brothers get up there and they're like, "Oh wow, this is this is amazing. Uh, let's see if this dude will say anything." Um, Smith doesn't give them specific lines, but it just says, uh, "Speaking aloud in accordance with their predetermined plan, Fushjulis requested an oracle of their fortunes from Malagris." There was no answer, and lifting their eyes, the brothers were greatly assured by the aspect of the seated ancient. Death alone could have set the grayish pallor on the brow, could have locked the lips in a rigor of fast-frozen clay. The eyes were like cavern-shadowed ice. Under the beard that was half-silver, half-sable, the cheeks had already fallen in as with beginning decay. The gray and hideously shrunken hands, whereon the eyes of enchanted barrels and rubies burned, were clenched inflexibly on the chair arms, which had the form of arching basilisks. Verily, murmured Nigon, there is naught here to frighten or dismay us. Behold, it is only the lich of an old man after all, and one that has cheated the worm of his due. Aye, said Fustiles, but this man in his time was the greatest of all necromancers. Even the ring on his little finger is a sovereign talisman. The ballast ruby of the thumb ring of his right hand will conjure demons from out of the deep. In the volumes that lie about this chamber there are secrets of perished gods. In the vials there are syrups that give strange visions and filters that can revive the dead. Among these things it is ours to choose freely. Nigon, eyeing the gems greedily, selected a ring that encircled the right forefinger with the sixfold coils of a serpent of orich calcium. Vainly, however, he tried to loosen the finger from its rigid clutch on the chair arm to permit the removal of the ring. Muttering impatiently, he drew a knife from his girdle and prepared to hew away the finger. In the meanwhile, Fustiles had drawn his own knife as a preliminary before approaching the other hand. "'Is thy heart firm within thee, brother?' he inquired in a sort of sibilant whisper. "'If so, is there even more to be gained than these talismanic rings?' It is well known that a wizard who attains to such supremacy as Malagris undergoes by virtue thereof complete bodily transformation, turning his flesh into elements more subtle than those of common flesh. And whoso eats of his flesh, even so much as a tiny morsel, will share thereafter in the powers owned by the wizard. Nigon nodded as he bent over the chosen finger. This too was in my thought, he answered. 
up. Yep. Chowing down. I love they're such creepers. Yeah. Like <laughs> I just imagine their hands like like all, you know, like like cartoon creepers. Like, <laughs> just creeping up to the to the throne with these like little sharp daggers to like just start sawing and biting. It's yeah. so, so messed up. <laughs> they want to eat this guy. It's so good. Uh, especially because it's like, like it's, I guess it's comedic. Like, because the one guy is like, hey, bro, I'm thinking we should eat this guy. And the right. other guy's like, yeah, I'm thinking that same thing. <laughs> like, I just imagine like a slow, slow nod and a smirk. Like, right. yeah. <laughs> So then they eat Malagris, and then what happens? The end. (laughs) And then they become really powerful and very happy, and they get lots of chicks. They eat him up, and that's it. (laughs) The coral viper will not suffer his master's body to be Mm -hmm. desecrated, which is interesting because you would think that a familiar would just scoot off. But apparently he's still around and apparently chilling in his unicorn head. And so the snake grows oh is it that the wizard's strength i thought that was the snake got huge okay so the um the snake comes out the coral viper comes out they start freaking out fushily says by the black thorns of taran it's one of malagris's familiars i've heard of this viper so they go to book and it says turning the two would have fled from the room but even as they turn the walls and portals seem to recede before them Uh, A vertigo sees them, reeling. They saw the little segments of mosaic under their feet assume the proportions of mighty flags. So the little little mosaic stones are getting bigger and bigger as they shrink down. And Malagris has turned into a colossus. And the viper turns into the size of a vast python. And they hear the sound, the, the oracle handed down in a thunderous, hollow, and tremendous voice. Of course, they're listening with tiny person ears. Fools, ye have dared to ask me for an oracle. And the oracle is... Death! Sorry. What? Don't apologize. That was amazing. <laughs> what do you think the, the function is going on here? Like, why is that coral wiper still there? Like, it seems earlier when they're talking about why Malagris still has power... They're saying they're saying that it's like it's because people believe he's still alive that he has power. Do you think that's the same reason his familiars are still there because they don't quite get it, or is something else going on? I don't know. I think let's wait till the end, mm-hmm. uh, and then we'll talk about that. So they unfortunately they they, they get they pant as runners pant in a dream, and they're running and they're confused, and they get struck by this python thing like fleeing dormice but in the end there's only a small coral viper that crept back into its hiding yeah. place in the bosom of malagris so trippy they got eaten <laughs> then we cut to the sorceress cabal and we have Marinapion and his crew you know creating a plasma baby <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> and feeding him blood and they're great caretakers these guys it's so gross <laughs> this whole thing so it cuts it cuts to them and they are, this is their plan to out Malagris. They're employing an unlawful Atlantean science. And they're basically creating like a clone, right? Out of like yeah. plasm. It's like a homunculus. And it's like clone voodoo doll. Right. Yeah, it's like, it's right. like voodoo doll extreme. And they make it die of old age. So they take it all the way up, make it die of old age. Yeah. They make it look like Malagris. They mm-hmm. make a clone of Malagris and then they age it. So weird. And then they duplicate his position, make it die and make it rot. Yeah. It's uh, what is it? Sympathetic magic. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, so their plan is as this clone baby rots, so will Malagris's body. As the clone baby rots, <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's like some kind of album. I don't know. Maybe some kind of metal or something. Who knows? <laughs> And then they all feel really good about themselves, and they can take naps and sleep. Yeah, like, oh, like they yeah. talk about them sleeping. It's hilarious. <laughs> I know. <They're> like <laughs> suddenly, they're all getting a sound night's sleep again. Yeah, it's it's Miller time. They did it. <laughs> <laughs> the plasma baby, the rotting plasma baby, did it. Everyone, take a nap. <laughs> and so they're sort of worried, but they they hear that when certain seafaring merchants show up and bring him their usual portion of tribute they realize by certain disagreeable tokens that he's actually dead. And so they ditch their stuff and run because they're too scared of him still. But it's kind of fantastic, however. Yeah. And now all of Susaran is like, yay, Malagris is dead. But um, Marinapion wants to, he wants to lay eyes on him. He wants to see his defeated foe. They are like, yay, he's dead, but they're still terrified of him. Like, nobody oh, will yeah. touch his treasure. Nobody will do anything. So, so Marinapion and the king are like, we have to go do this thing face to face now that we know he's dead, now that his body's rotted, now that the plasma baby has done its solemn duty, it's time for us to end this thing face to face. I don't really know, um, it, the story's not really specific on exactly what they're going to do when they get in there. Right. I thought it, he just wanted to see him. He just yeah, wanted to make sure. The strong desire to visit the tower and behold face to face that which he had witnessed only in his vision. Yeah. Thus alone would his triumph be complete. So who knows exactly what he's going to do when he gets there. Like, stick his tongue out or something. Hubris Marinapion. <laughs> well, eventually you do need to check this kind of stuff. I guess. Maybe five years later would have been better. Only if you're using your plasma baby incorrectly. <laughs> <laughs> we have to alter the blood baby elements. It does seem like they did wait a while because once they... So they do decide to go, him and the king and the, the sorcerers go into Malagris's tower and Smith writes boldly and with no hesitation they entered the chamber slanting through the western window the sun of late afternoon fell goldenly on the dust that had gathered everywhere spiders had woven their webs on the bright jeweled censers on on graven lamps and the metal covered volumes of sorcery the air was sure. stagnant with a stifling foulness of death so you know there's been enough time for cobwebs and dust to fall everywhere right yeah and his fingers are black and tattered. Oh, Malagris, I give thee greeting, said Marinapion in a loud voice of mockery. Grant, I beseech thee, a sign if thy wizardry still prevails, and hath not become an appendage of oblivion. Greetings, O oh Marinapion, replied a grave and terrible voice that issued from the maggot-eaten lips. Indeed, I will grant thee a sign, even as I, in death, have rotted upon my seat from the foul sorcery which was wrought in the vaults of King Gadrion, so thou and thy fellows, and Gadrion, living, shall decay and putrefy wholly in an hour, by virtue of the curse that I put upon ye now. Then the shrunken corpse of Malagris, fulminating the ruins of the old Atlantean formula, cursed the eight sorcerers in King Gadrion. The formula was cadenced with fatal names of lethal gods and in it were told the secret appellations of the Black God of Time and the nothingness that abides beyond time. The air darkened as if the hovering of seasonless night, and thereupon, like a breathing of the night, a chillness entered the chamber, and it seemed the black wings of ages passed over the tower, beating prodigiously from void to void. 
Hearing that Maranatha, the sorcerers were dumb with the extremity of their dread, and even Maranathion could recall no counterspell against it. All would have fled from the room ere the curse ended, but a mortal weakness was upon them, and they felt a sickness as of quick-coming death. Shadows were woven athwart their eyes, but through the shadows each beheld dimly the instant blackening of the faces of his fellows, and saw the cheeks fall ruinously and the lips curl back on the teeth like those of long-dead cadavers. Trying to run, each was aware of his own limbs that rotted beneath him, pace by pace, and felt the quick sloughing of his flesh and corruption from the bone. Crying out with tongues that shriveled ere the cry was done, they fell down on the floor of the chamber. Life lingered in them, together with the dire knowledge of their doom, and they preserved something of hearing and sight. In the dark agony of their live corruption, they tossed feebly to and fro, and crawled inchmeal on the chill mosaic. And they still moved in this fashion, slowly and imperceptibly, till their brains were turned to grey mold, and the sinews were parted from their bones, and the marrow was dried up. Thus, in an hour, the curse was accomplished. The enemies of the necromancer lay before him, supine and shrunken, in the tomb's final posture, as if doing obeisance to a seat of death. Except for the garments, none could have told King Gedrion from Marinapion, nor Marinapion from the lesser wizards. The day went by, declining seaward, and burning with a royal pyre before Sisron, the sunset flung an aureate glare from the window, and then dropped away in red brands and funereal ashes. And in the twilight, a coral viper glided from the bosom of Malagris, and weaving among the remnant of them that lay on the floor, and slipping silently down the stairs of marble, it passed forever from the tower. The end. That's an awful way to die. It is. That viper's hardcore. <laughs> But is it the Viper that does it, or is it Malagris? That well, that's it? my question. Was all of this the Viper? Is Was the Viper the power here? Or is this last scene saying, now Malagris is really dead, so now the Viper, who was his familiar, is finally free to leave? I think that's more fun, but I'm going to take the Viper did it. Yeah. I don't think the Viper did it, because... I want to believe that Malagris is so powerful that even in death, he's still casting spells. But that Viper keeps showing himself whenever something happens. Mm-hmm. Right, but but why didn't the Viper leave prior to this then? Because he's a, a demon. He does what he wants. Well, also, these were his last enemies, maybe. Like, these were the ones who posed the greatest threat to, I guess, Malagris's, Malagris's um, sh- shadow, if that makes sense. Like, his uh, his myth. And when you think maybe how long he and the Viper had been together, Malagris and Viper, together mm. forever. <laughs> One last bro hug. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess the question then, well, like, let's look at the original thing that he does in the story. Right. Uh, when he kills Nigon and Fustilis. We just hear a giant voice. Yeah. They don't see, well, I'm th- I'm, and I know that, that they hear this giant voice, but they also are seeing the, the Viper as giant, and so... Maybe to them, the Viper's voice sounds like Malagress's might. In, I don't think there's any real way to know exactly what's going on. Yeah, ultimately. I I agree. Uh, unless in in Last Incantation, yeah, they never really he never really described how the Viper speaks. Like if it's if it mm-hmm. speaks in a voice that actually comes from it. Also, I I noticed one of Smith's word choices in this passage was slightly awkward. I don't know if he was going for anathema or what, but he wrote Maranatha. Right. Which means um, our Lord has come. Yeah. Which is awkward. It's, it's a phrase that, that is 
derived in our culture mostly from the New Testament. I happen to know a girl who was named Maranatha by her oh, wow. dad because he thought it was such a really cool word. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that feels like the right word choice to me, actually, because they're, I mean, they are hearing that. Their Lord effect. has come. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, well, he does, yeah. he does, I don't know if it was in the reading, but he does call on, like, the, the black name of, like, the God of Death. Mm-hmm. He does, yeah. To come this and take true. them. This is true. It just caught my my eye as an interesting word. Yeah, mine too. I looked it up too, uh, and it's an it's a very interesting way to use that word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a pretty vicious ending. I think it's maybe the most vicious death we've had in any uh, Clark Ashton Smith story. This like rotting in the course of an hour, but being aware of it thing that goes on. I agree. I th- I think this is one of those cases where we get real proper necromancy yeah real proper sorcery right here because a lot of the stuff like even even Nathair, he he builds himself a giant a, a giant colossus to take revenge and sure yeah he's running an awesome giant colossus but this is a case of i cast a spell just one spell and now all this horror happens to these people yeah and it works there's no counter mm-hmm. spell for it he throws some dust at a giant and it goes away yeah I like uh, when their brains turn to gray mold. I know. Um, oh, that was terrible. <laughs> speaking of RPG stuff, yeah, it, I would be curious to trace the history of the idea of a counter spell. Like, yeah, I'm sure that true. I'm sure that in folklore, you know, getting rid of curses and stuff, but just that phrase counter spell feels so RPG to me that I'm kind of surprised that it existed before. Like you had a mechanic for spells in a game, right? You know, mm-hmm. you know, it might come from Smith. Because, uh, well, I mean, they, oh, you mean as a mechanic? Well, the the word, the idea of a counter spell. Because wh- who did, uh, who is it, Gygax and Arns, Arneson? They, uh, in their appendix N, they didn't mention Smith, but they mentioned like, no, Lovecraft they don't mention and, Smith. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but they mentioned, they notably don't mention yeah, Smith. Yeah. <laughs> which is so weird because it's so, maybe they just didn't want to be, didn't want people to read Clark Ashton Smith and be like, oh, okay. <laughs> This is what well, this yeah, is they, where I they mean, got they it. All. They mention uh, Vance though, which is a right. similar. Yeah, like you mm-hmm. have a similar response. You know, it might be Vance then. Vance is a total rip off of Smith. I mean, what? Wait, no. what? Hang on. Sorry. No, a friend handed me a Dying Earth collection. I was like, it's a thief. I take it back because I haven't actually examined the timeline of any of that. So speaking of timelines, what in Poseidonus? How do these stories occur? I want to I want to propose before we do that uh-huh. a theory that uh, like many of my theories at the end of our episode <laughs> right. is not borne out by the text at all. Okay, but I like. I it. would just like to say that I think that Malagris knew that Poseidon was sinking, and he put himself into this state of torpor to uh, to hold the island from sinking, <laughs> and that this event actually dooms the island to sink because. The shadow of magic that he was casting over the island is no longer there to protect it, right. and therefore Gadrion and Maranapion have uh, have doomed Poseidonus to sink because Malagris, for all his evilness, it is was also powerful enough to keep the island afloat. Again, based on nothing in the text, but right. that's what I think is really going on. I think that's the subtext. Well, but also to add to your baseless theory, um, <laughs> he by destroying all of the sorcerers on Poseidonus, they make way for science for the advancement of science, which leads to voyage to Savannah and we all know how that ended. <laughs> so is is Malagris not mentioned at all in Spanamoe? No. no. They mentioned Susran, but not they, do. they go over Susran. Huh. 
I think once again we've solved Atlanta. I think so. Three in a row. That's three in a row. That's a hat trick. <laughs> I think it's going to take a lot for any future necromancer to beat Malagris in my estimation at this point. I totally agree. I mean, I know I'm I'm a pretty like let's say uh, uh, like a like a fangirl just jumping from pop star to pop star, but right now, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, I only have eyes for Malagris. Right. He's the be all and end all. Wait till we get to Zothique. Or even Hyperborea, but I'll watch your, your love wax and wane. Yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, timeline. Well, vintage is easy to place in the timeline. Right. So, last. And then we've got four stories. Vintage yeah. goes last. Yeah. I, I would say the last incantation first, then yeah. death of Malagris. Then, Interesting. Uh, oh, well, where does Double Shadow fit? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Avistes had studied under Malagris. Double, Double Shadow right. fits right like as the story is going on, because remember, they talk about how... They've right. heard that is they dead. do. It's yeah. concurrent. They've heard yeah. that he's dead, but but not, but that people don't know it or something weird. Like yeah, that's right. There's that little, there's that little passage where right. it's like they even mention that he mutters spells in his in his dead in his state. Death. All right, so that that's easy enough. Then double shadow will say takes place during this story. Yeah. We just have to do Svanamoe. I kind of like the idea that if we're going with Phil's completely off the wall theory, then we'll say that the brothers left after the story. I think after I think way after this story because it's almost sunk and I and I think right. Malagress would have been more on the ball about that. And it never in any of the other stories they never mention the threat of Poseidon is sinking. That's the only no. one where we get it. And then we know it's sunk from vintage. Yeah. So. They don't they don't talk at all about um about how Poseidon is the last continent that's still No, I guess they don't. I don't think so, do they? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It is weird. What do you guys think about Poseidonus as a as a setting? I like it. I think these are fantastic necromancers. Yeah. Just yeah. So good. I mean, I, I like it. I like it. It feels very like sort of half worn to me. Like he took it off the shelf and wore it twice right. and threw it out. But I do mm -hmm. like. I love that it's um, like in particular the description of it in this story where it's like weird, like mute messengers gathering sorcerers to like meet in in subterranean tombs like basically what ruth said like i like that it, it's like just written with scientists and necromancers i think it's pretty yeah that's like seems to be the the, the makeup of it and I, I like that it would make a great rpg setting to go it back would. to that rpg i would buy a mute slave of one of the aboriginal people of poseidonus yeah, you of course do, you would you could do a whole oeuvre of this metal band with with references to Poseidonus, like Mute Slave would be a great totally. uh, song or totally. album, whatever, you know? Clone Baby. Whatever you want to do. <laughs> Twilight Clone Coral Baby. Viper. Yeah, it's great. Grey Mold, that would be another great <laughs> title. <laughs> and the Oracle is Death. I mean, come on. It, <laughs> it writes itself. Ooh, the whole Cyclops Eye thing. Yes. Yeah. I love that it's a blue eye, too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so which, I guess, like, that begs the whole question, too, which is, like, where do you get, are there Cyclopses on Poseidonus? I don't know. We don't know. Did there used to be, maybe? Somewhere. Wait, what'd you ask? Is it a figure of speech? Yeah, like, is it something that you make? Like, is it actually just a big glass ball filled with, like, certain alchemical concoctions and you just call it a Cyclops oh, eye? I hadn't even a, thought of that. That's an interesting thought. No, no, because it's he says specifically it's a slain cyclops eye. Nice. <laughs> Shit. Perfect. <laughs> well, that, that 
that just makes no damn sense. (laughs) (laughs) And apparently they come in other colors because this one's blue. It's it's a hand me down from Atlantis, and it was slain by Oigos. Yeah, that could be that could be it. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess we know from our friendly ghost ghost Yibith that uh, that anything is possible. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I miss Yibith. I wish he was in this story. Yibith and Oigos sitting in a tree. No. <laughs> Mummifying ing. <laughs> Mummifying ing. I don't know. <laughs> M U M M I F Y I N G. Do we have anything else to say about Poseidon, or should we talk about what's next? Do you have a best story? I love this one. Man, it's hard because this is a really, it's a damn fine piece of story craft, but mm-hmm. Double Shadow. I, I think for me, it's ties between those two as well. I might choose yeah, this one. I like all the arcanity of this one. Like it's yeah, but remember, like remember all the arcanity and double shadow? No, I know. And it was there. Oigos. But it was a little more withdrawn. This one is like balls deep in ritual <laughs> and uh magic. Like in so every I love scene. It when you talk dirty. <laughs> in every scene somebody or something's doing magic. This story is poundingly occult. <laughs> <laughs> it is. In true Clark Ashtonian style. Yes. Yes. All right, so what's next? What's our next? Because this is the last story in this setting. What's our next set? This setting? is two settings down. We're like taking these yeah. things to town. Well, uh, Hyperborea, which will yeah. be a little longer. But the, the very next episode will be just some poetry. Yes. Yep. We're going to take it down a notch. Read by International Man of Mystery, Jordan Smith. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, I don't actually know this dude. He's a New York actor. His name is Jordan he's Smith. He's an International Man of Mystery. We were able to we were able to get him to read a few poems at a high cost. So donate, please. Wait, really? No. God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, his time is definitely worth money, but we're not paying him. No. Yeah. Right. Oh wait, is this our first time having a reoccurring character in a Smith story? Oh. Is Malagris and the Coral Viper the first time we're getting a reoccurring sure. character? Because there were none uh, in. In Averon, I feel like... Maybe someone was mentioned? No, I feel like we tried to force a lot of connections. <laughs> like we do. It's called close reading, Tim. Learn about it. <laughs> no, I feel like there were, there were ties, definitely, but it was more places that were yeah, tied. Right, right. In Averon. Yeah, so this is our first next time in the life of Malagris the Magician. He's dead, Tim. Oh, I'm so sad. <laughs> Maybe they'll well, maybe somebody will people. summon him up and send him back and make him talk to serpent people. God, that would be awesome. As Poseidonus sinks into the ocean, so must this episode come to a sad ending. Good night, and thank you for listening to The Double Shadow, a Clark Ashton Smith podcast. Moranapion, 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 yeah.